I want to say a word of thanks to our worship team. Thank you guys for leading us in worship and always doing, doing an awesome job uh, lifting us up to, to God. So we really appreciate that. I also want to mention uh, we have some extra food left over from Family Promise. Uh, the, there's a support congregation that helps with the meals. We do the um, food for breakfast and for lunch. There's a support congregation that helps, that partners with us to do the dinners. And sometimes I just think, how many did you think were here? You guys brought it all. Like, this is so much food. And for example, last night they brought some really good burgers from like a hipster burger place. And there's a bunch of untouched hipster burgers in the fridge right now. So um, please don't rush out during my sermon. But um, you're, you're welcome um, to, to grab some of those on, on your way out. Please just take it. I know it might be a little weird, but there's other food in there. And we would just love for you to have it so we don't have to throw it away or I don't have to eat hipster burgers all week. Um, so um, thank you so much for all, all that volunteering. But please make sure to grab some food uh, on the way out so it doesn't, doesn't go to waste because we want to be able to use it. So we've been uh, doing a series uh, called Hope in Exile, thinking about some of the themes from the book of Ezekiel, which even if you've been a Christian for a really long time as a book, you probably haven't uh, thought about all that much. Ezekiel is a very strange book. There's some weird stuff uh, that goes on in it. And as we've been going through it, we're not really going like in any particular order because it's just kind of a strange thing that happens. There's a lot of stuff. We're actually going to be talking specifically about one of the strangest things that happens uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, today. But as I wanted to, to think through this message, the prophetic messages that come to us, and mainly the second half of the Old Testament, I think are important for us to, to think through every once in a while. I think the prophetic word that God gives to Ezekiel for um, the community of believers that he's charged to speak to, I think has a really good word for us as generally American Christians um, today. So I'm going to explain why that is in just a little bit. Uh, one thing that You'll read as you read through the Bible is you come to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is uh, instructions on elders, what it means to be uh, an elder, a church leader um, in the church. And one thing that's interesting about what um, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7 is people outside the church must speak well of him. Like if somebody is going to be an elder in your church, then he must be like, have, have a good reputation in the community that people would say, hey, you know, that person is a fair business person. Uh, you know, when he leaves the gathering of church, he's not a jerk. You know, like it's somebody who I, I really, you know, I respect the way that the, the life is lived and I respect that person. And I think this is something that we should think about when it comes to church leadership. But I also think this is a great verse for just church in general. And what if that was the way that we viewed the church? That people outside the church would view us positively. That people who don't necessarily believe what we believe and don't necessarily practice what we practice, they might say they're super weird, they believe someone rose from the dead, I'm not really so sure about that, but I can't deny what they do. Like they participate in some really great stuff and they're carrying out their Christian witness, and again, I don't necessarily believe what they do, but because of who they are in the community, I can't really deny that they're pretty good people. Generally, I would say the American church, based on statistics and studies, isn't so doing very hot on that. And it's something that we all could, I think, collectively try to do better in our lives, try to be better about uh, being a good representation of Christ in the world. And sometimes that just makes me sad because as you look at the ministry of Jesus, people who were very unlike Jesus liked Jesus. 
People who were sinners. It's like he's hanging out and partying with people who you wouldn't expect. And you're like, whoa, hey. And people are, are saying, you know, you're a drunkard because you're like around these people who, who drink a lot. And it doesn't say that Jesus drank a lot, but it says that he's there. He's with them. He's hanging out in the houses of sinners, the places that religious people wouldn't touch or go near. And Jesus was around these people and people who were very much unlike Jesus liked Jesus. And generally, I think when it, comes to the church in America and the state of, of Christianity, when we think about our faith and what keeps us regularly participating in church and coming week after week, uh, generally I think we have gone, I think in, with some good motives, but we're very people-centric, um, which, is, which is a good thing and a good impulse, and we need to care about people and, and speak about things that are practical. But oftentimes, I think you can kind of get this mindset of that you just come for like this religious good and service and you kind of have this moment and it's about you basically. And maybe you get convicted that you're a little too greedy or you get convicted about something. It changes your life a little bit. But as you think about your faith, does it involve God at all? Does it involve that, you know, when you come together for worship, like you're worshiping God, not just an idealized version of yourself, but hopefully you, know, you can get a little bit better before next week. Are you worshiping God at all? Uh, Sean Palmer, who's a Church of Christ minister, uh, he wrote a book called Unarmed Empire, which is a great book. And he said that generally in churches, the preaching is often about felt needs. And if you can't make people feel that you have, that you have a problem your church can solve, then they won't continue to come. I think that's pretty fair. And generally then, a lot of times when it comes to church involvement, then when somebody gets burned or something happens, and it's just like, oh, I'm out, you know? And it's, I understand there may be certain things that are enough that you say, no, that's, that's too much. I just can't continue. That's, that's fair. But oftentimes I wonder if people are walking away for stuff that's big enough. And it really matters. I think oftentimes in American Christianity, it can be about just that it's about meeting my needs, and once my needs aren't met, then I'm out. I think it's a very dangerous way to look at what the church and the community that God calls us to be, like who we actually are. Martin Luther King Jr., he talked about the gathering of believers as um, a, a gathering of a beloved community. As you come together, you are, are loved by God. That love transforms you and then transforms how you love other people. So the, stat, the state that I would say that we, at some points, I feel like we're in is a bit similar to what I would say that Ezekiel is trying to preach to the people and help to get their attention because uh, Ezekiel has a lot of judgment. If you're just reading through, you'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. Uh, Ezekiel says some things to the people that are really, really hard and difficult uh, for them to hear. I'm going to talk about the main theme that he has, but I also want to spend just a moment uh, talking about the weird sign acts that he does. If you're reading through Ezekiel, it's very strange. He like puts up... Uh, a, a little construction, a model of Jerusalem, and does all this weird stuff. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 describes this. Now lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You're to bear their sins for the number of, your, number of days you lie on your side. I'm requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one for each year of Judah's sins. Uh, so I actually am going to ask somebody to do this. If somebody somebody willing to lay on their side for the rest of the sermon, I will give you give you uh, something. S- Sonia, are you sure? 
Even, even with a kidney stone? All right, Sonia, come on up. Um, leave Nora behind. <laughs> All right. Let's see what happens. And I don't, I don't want to let you down. I don't have the thing for you today, but I will bring you something. Don't worry. I wasn't sure someone would actually volunteer for this. <laughs> okay. So there we go. Nora... Nora's in the zone. All right. Well, um, and then this, this continues. Um, Ezekiel continues to, to have the instructions from God. God gives ration, ration this out to yourself, eight ounces of food for each day and eat it at set times. Then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes. While all the people are watching, bake it over a fire using dried human dung as fuel and then eat the bread. Um, Then the Lord said, this is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentile lands to which I banish them. Go ahead to the next one. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, must I be defiled by using human dung? For I've never been defiled before. From this time I was a child until now. I've never eaten any animal that died of sickness or was killed by other animals. I've never uh, eaten any meat uh, forbidden by the law. So this is, thank you, a little little too kind to our Ezekiel. but my, my question is, is like, that's the problem you have with this situation? Like, must I be defiled by using human dung? But then God actually agrees and says that he can use animal dung, which I, I have prepared for Sonia. But no, I don't actually have that. <laughs> that, that would make it way too weird. Um, but yeah, here's, here's a picture, just in case you need a picture of what this might have, have looked like. Um, Ezekiel is called to deliver this message and uh, the, the sign acts that he is doing, the ways that he is uh, enacting this would have given flesh. It reminds you a little bit of the teachings of Jesus, how he was always speaking in parables and making things like very practical. And so it was a way of saying like, here, let me get you guys his attention. And as you read through that, I'm like, okay, it's 400 days, it's a whole bunch of days, and you're supposed to survive off this horrible, like, lentil bread that sounds terrible. And there was an early a theologian a couple hundred years after this who said that um, even dogs wouldn't eat that bread. Like, they didn't experiment and did the recipe, and the dogs wouldn't even eat it. And so Ezekiel is really, like, having to depend on the Spirit of God to work through him to perform these acts. And the thing that God is trying to get his attention, the attention of, of the people through these sign acts and through the things that you consistently see as a theme in the book of Ezekiel is the people aren't worshiping God anymore. That they've forgotten who their God is. They've forgotten who their God calls them to be. In fact, Ezekiel has this vision later in the book that the elders of Israel, the very respected people in Jerusalem, he has this vision that they're bowing down, worshiping other gods and goddesses of that time. They've forgotten who God actually is. And then out of that, who God calls them to be. And I think that is a good symptom of what the American church struggles with at times, that we are a very people-centric 
group, and I think that's good. I think it really should be about helping people, but oftentimes I think that leads us to a dangerous place because we, I think, are called to be people who pursue God with our lives, love God with our hearts, and then we're welcoming and hospitable of people because of who God is. And that's a really important distinction and one that we definitely need to make because naturally that's very hard for humans to do. Because we naturally are just going to love people who are like us. We're naturally going to break into tribes and into systems and into nations and into cultures where we only hang out with people who are like us. Who generally are from the, the same tax bracket, who generally maybe had the same amount of education. We hang out with a lot of people who are like us. And why I think it's important to have both elements of loving God and then loving people, because even our church's slogan is like, love God and then love people, but we kind of just skip over to the loving people part. And the reason why that's so dangerous is because if all we're focused on is, is loving people, then we don't love the people that God would want us to love. If we don't have that as our principle and that as our core and say, okay, God, I'm going to love you, so then who do you call me to love? Then generally churches can become like country clubs where everybody just kind of agrees with the same thing. There's not a lot of diversity. There's not a lot of things that we're all like seeking together. It's just everybody's kind of the same. And the way that we naturally would love people, which is just kind of breaking them into systems and hanging out with people who are generally like us, becomes the way that the church does it. And there are people who you come across, so I would call EGR, extra grace required people. And if you don't know one of those people, you might be one. <laughs> and to love those people who take extra grace and who take, you know, extra time and they're hard for you to love, you need to make a decision to love God first and then love them. Because if all you're thinking about is just loving people, and again, that's really important, but we need both of those together. It's not one or the other. We turn to God and say, God, transform my heart, transform my spirit, so I can love people who you would call me to love. Not just the people that I would choose to love. Because the people I would choose, if I just continue in those systems, it's not really going to work. Jesus says this pretty brilliantly. I use the message translation um, because the message, I think, just slaps us a little bit at times. And he, Jesus says, you're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. 
Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. And I love how the message translates that. Do you want a medal for loving people who are just like you? Congratulations. That's awesome. Everybody does that. One of my friends in grad school, uh, he had a very sarcastic slow clap that he would do uh, to me every once in a while. And there was one time we were talking about a test, and I felt like I had done pretty well on the test. I don't actually remember what the results were, but um, he said, man, that test, that test was pretty hard. And I was like, oh, I, I found it to be like, not, not that bad. And then he gave me the slow clap. He's like, congratulations, Brian. Um, so he, he, he always had that. And I knew he was pulling it out right when I saw those hands moving slowly together. And that's what I feel like Jesus is communicating here, you know? You love people who are just like you. Congratulations. Everybody does that. I mean, most everybody at least. Maybe not every single person, but most everybody. But if you want to follow me, if you want to create a God-centered community, you need to worship God first. And then out of that, Love people, sometimes some really hard to love people, sometimes some really different people. People that you wouldn't expect God to call you to love. I talked about a, a study before that uh, was about the decision in 1954, the decision came down from Brown versus Board of Education to desegregate schools. And the hope was that would really do some positive things, and it actually uh, did in some of the areas that they were able to do it. But actually, studies show now that schools are more segregated now than they were then. And you could go around L.A. and find schools that are predominantly Hispanic, predominantly African-American, predominantly white. You can go around, and segregation is actually worse than it was at that time. And the reason isn't because it wasn't a good idea. Actually, as these groups would get together and different people would fuel and the diversity happened, it actually was very helpful. Test scores went up and it was good around the board for all the different cultures that would get together. But what eventually happened and the reason why some of those efforts stopped is desegregation is hard. It's hard work. It takes a lot of money, like to bus people around to different places. It takes a lot of effort. It takes constantly being vigilant about it. So it's a difficult thing to do. And so largely people have said, oh, it's so hard, we just can't really tackle that issue. In our time and place, and I would say this has happened forever, there's no reward for getting to know people and loving people who aren't like you. And that's where I think the church needs to step up. The church needs to be a place where we use our differences, our diversity, the power that we have, not to separate ourselves, not to use it against someone else, but to lay it down and love people who are different than us. I think it's so important for us to really think about, okay, what is the lens through which I'm viewing the world? This can happen so subtly in different ways. I think of uh, end zone dances uh, in, in a football game because uh, so, sometimes some people can say like, come on, act like you've been there before. And it's because you don't have rhythm. Sorry about that. 
Oftentimes, that's how we can subtly think, though. We can say, do things the way I would do them. And that's how we can be when it comes to church as well. I'll let you come here. I'll let you be accepted. I'll love you if you'll be a lot like me. If you'll agree with me on everything. Henry Nouwen, the theologian, says this, Every time we see a major crisis in the church, the Reformation, the Great Schism, it's come from misused power by people who claim to follow a poor, powerless Messiah. People who claim to follow a powerless Messiah. Jesus, who literally said, I have nowhere to lay my head. And we use the faith sometimes as a weapon. The Christian mission in the world is to devote ourselves to following God, to love God, and then to allow that to be the way that we love other people. And I would say it's on us to forsake power where we can for the sake of love and community. That we would lay down our lives for the sake of love and community. We talked last week in our worship class as we're thinking through that, that there are over 33,000 Christian denominations in the world. That's unbelievable. And it's all about people splitting about different things and things that you would say, How, why is that even an issue? Thomas Campbell, one of the leaders in our movement, he was from Ireland, and the church that he was a part of was called an Old Light Anti-Burger, not Hamburger, Seceder Presbyterian Church. And there were so many distinctions in there. He was like, we got to start something new. We just feel so off track in where we are. Churches can sometimes be about power and figuring out who's in and who's out. Instead of saying, God, please let us love you. And then out of that, let us love other people. And that might lead us to some hard relationships and hard to figure out situations. But I would rather err on that side than err on a side of just putting up walls. The church is called to be a diverse group of people. People with diverse and different opinions. And we lay down our lives for each other. And this is what happens in, in good families. When you're a dad, when you're a mom, you lay down your life for your kids. You spend money on things that you would never spend money on. You go on vacations to places that you would never choose. And then you spend an obscene amount of money at those places because the kid sees something that he or she really likes. It's like I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) In good family systems, you lay down your life for those who are vulnerable to show them the love that you have for them. And it's the same in the church, that we would lay down the power that we have to welcome other people, to love other people, to allow God's love to be the way that we transform the world. It would be so much easier if just once, you know, you came to know God, then we'd all be uniform and all agree on everything. But that's not true community. And the church, I think, should be giving an example to the world and be really, really good at this. And we're not always good at that. And as you look around in our world today, especially in the United States, we can see how divided our world can be. We talked today in class about how that's really probably always been the case, because think about how divided the world was during during the Civil War, and during that time we talked a little bit about that history and what has to do with our uh, Christian tradition today. But it's always been a little bit divided, perhaps, but it feels maybe even more than ever right now that there's just people on all sides and nobody can get along and everybody's throwing up their hands saying, what are we supposed to do? 
We seem to be divided on all sorts of things. I saw this, this study that was done a couple of years ago. A Gallup poll conducted just after the 2016 presidential election found that 77% of Americans see the country as greatly divided when it comes to the most important values, up from 66% in 2012. And it's been a year since then. That number might be higher than 77% at this point. They say the rise of social media combined with the decline of central institutions that once defined the borders of political debate have created a potentially dangerous moment in our public discourse. Course. Today, even disasters seem to pull us apart more than bring us together. <laughs> we live in a culture and a society that's increasingly divided over stuff that you would expect, like, hey, how, how do you possibly see the world that way? That doesn't make any sense. And we post about it on social media and we continue our side and we post memes that just convince our friends even more. And we are increasingly divided in our world and in the church, we have to be different and we have to be better. And that comes, I think, from exactly what Ezekiel is trying to wake the people up to. You need to love God, love God first, and then that allows you to love other people, to reach out to those who are different than you, to have a meal. I mean, just having somebody over into your house and having a conversation about how they see the world, that kind of thing can change the world today. Instead of having it via Snapchat or whatever it is that you choose to do to actually sit across from someone who's different than you and have that conversation, this is what the church is when the church is at its best. It's a diverse community of believers with different opinions, different ideas, trying to figure out the grace of God together. It's about learning to lay down your power. There's a great book that I would recommend reading called The Fellowship of Difference by Scott McKnight. You should definitely uh, check that one out. I'll, I'll mention it in my email this week. But he writes about how the early church, they, they came together and it was a, just a random group of people. Like it was some slaves and some really wealthy people. It was men and women. They were trying to figure this whole grace thing out. And it started probably just a house group of people, just a few people trying to sort this out. Then they immediately start messing it up because Paul has to write to them and say, hey, you know, work on these things a little bit. But they're trying to do it, and it's hard. Because it's hard to constantly try to love people who are different than you. And when you try to love people who are different than you, some things are going to happen that are sometimes upsetting, and you're going to rub up against each other the wrong way sometimes. But God calls us to continue to pursue that and to try and recalibrate ourselves to, to love God first and then turn toward loving others. The book of Ezekiel writes about the, the holiness of God. The word that's used there is the kavod. It's this, this sense of, of weight. And the kavod, the shocking thing in the book of Ezekiel is the kavod, the presence, the, the weight of God leaves the temple. And the good news that we've talked about is that the kavod, the weight of God, actually goes to people who are in exile, who go to people who are in need. But what I see in the book of Ezekiel is this weight of God, the presence of God, the holiness of God saying, all right, if I'm not going to be on your throne, I'll just go somewhere else. That if you aren't going to seek me and worship me and allow me to be the place that, that you would work from and allow this presence, allow me to be on the throne, if you aren't going to do that, 
It's okay. I'll just go to someone who will. The earliest gatherings of Christian believers are diverse groups trying to figure out the grace of God together. And at our best, I think we're still the same thing. People coming together with different ideas, different thoughts. And I think the way that you could answer the question, well, are you worshiping God, is how has your love changed? How many relationships do you have with people who are very different than you? How many times do you go out to lunch with people who just have a different way of seeing the world? And that might not mean that they ever become part of your church. That might not mean that they ever become a part of your faith community in that way. But can you love people who are unlike you? Can you reach out to those who are different? As America continues to change, some people mourn the fact that um, it seems like we aren't getting our way sometimes. But through Christian tradition, that's typically a good thing when Christians are on the margins of society and not in the seat of power. Because the faith that we profess to is about a Savior who died on a cross. And the way that we change the world is by loving people through laying down our lives. May we learn to lay down our lives, to truly worship God, to heed the dramatic act of our prophet, Sonia. As you think about Ezekiel, day by day, just sitting there for 400 days, it was a constant reminder. Love God. Turn back to God. Turn back to God as your source, as the way that you love, that you would get to know people who are different than you. One of the things that I love about the ministries that we have of Family Promise and Essentia is it gives us the chance to sit around tables with people who we might label normally as homeless. But as we get to know these people, it's like, whoa, they are not that different from me. And we are just, you know, losing a job or an unfortunate thing happening to be in this exact situation. And may we continue to not identify people in such simple ways, but see them first as God's creation. And that'll change the way we learn to love them. We pray for us. God, may we heed the words of your prophet Ezekiel to learn to love and devote ourselves to you. May we find ways to love you by loving your people. We live in a world that is diverse and continues to be. May our friendships, the people that we know, reflect the true diversity of 2018. May we accept the challenge of trying to love people who we might have labels on at first. Father, you 
show us this great example of love and help us to have a love that truly transforms the world. Your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing now. And Sonia, you are welcome. You want me to...